Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. Later in the program, I mark the passing of an entertainment institution, Hong Kong's Elvis, Melvis Kwok, who died at the end of December. As the news became known this week, there's been an outpouring of people's memories for this beloved phenomenon in a jumpsuit. But first this week, I head to Sai Wan Ho, to the Marine Police Headquarters, to look at a collection of some of the 430 items of memorabilia in the officers' mess, the area where officers traditionally drink, eat and socialise. In Hong Kong, it's also called the Mariner's Rest. The oldest item there is a sword from 1831. I also hear about Hong Kong's last daifei, one of the original smuggling boats, which the president of the police officers' mess, Deputy District Commander Marine Outer Waters District Tim Worrell, is keen to get saved. I joined him and Chief Inspector Victor Ho to look at the collection. Welcome, firstly, to the Marine Police Officers' Mess, otherwise known as the Mariner's Rest. We have been in this building in Sai Wan Ho since 1996, and prior to that, we were housed over in the old Marine Regional Headquarters in Chim Sa Choi, which is now 1881 Heritage. What do you think of what they've done there? I remember it as a child because uh, my father was in the Marine Police and I fondly remember the lawn because uh, my father would get waylaid in the mess and he could be in there for many, many hours. And the lawn was a nice place to play. I was uh, a little surprised that the lawn was not kept. Uh, but other than that, I... Nah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the officers' mess, I found it interesting that this is called the Mariner's Rest. The name came across with it, as did most, a lot of the memorabilia and all the things that we had in the building when we decamped, including the Marine Police Noonday gun. We brought it across and uh, re-established ourselves here, surrounded ourselves with our memorabilia collection, which at the moment is about 430 items. The Mariner's Rest collection is all either within this building or, or in the compounds of this building, but we also have items that are uh, on loan to the Hong Kong Maritime Museum, as we both share a similar interest in preserving the maritime history of Hong Kong. Uh, there are two seagoing districts in the region, and they both have district officers' messes, and they have their own uh, memorabilia collections. But the Mar Mariner's Rest collection is the 430 items that you'll see today. As we were just walking through, there's a chair from the Japanese occupation. There's also, I don't know, do you call it the steering wheel that, uh, from the Senon, which was a, a famous Vietnamese ship coming in. There's also life boys, flags, ship models, all sorts. So is this really just over the years being collated systematically by the Marine Police or is this due to the enthusiasm of the various officers over the decades? I would put it down to the enthusiasm of the officers over the decades. Um, I think that officers often when they retire they make donations or members of the mess when they have they've picked something up over the course of time and then they've donated it to the mess or the mess actually the committee will go out of its way to procure items items that of interest uh, that have been procured for example uh, the Japanese flag that was flying over the old marine headquarters in Chim Sa Choi at the surrender of the Japanese and Chief Inspector Tony Rose he came out of Stanley internment camp raced across the harbour and took the flag down uh, with bullet holes still inside the, the flag and uh, presented that to the mess. That was on the display in, in the mess until very recently and has just recently been sent away for conservation. We also have the ensign from the Seawise University or the Queen Elizabeth I, which was recovered from the harbour a few days after the fire and that's on display and I'll, I'll show you that shortly. Yes, now tell me about that. The Seawise was actually, that was to do with, was it Tung Chi Wah's dad? Um, and uh, suddenly was on, on fire in the harbour, very dramatic. And so how did they get that back? It was just floating in the water when the Marine Police were in. It, it was found in the, floating in the harbour a few days later, and it was, it was, as you'll see, it's quite badly burnt. 
uh, as an aside, it's quite interesting. In the follow-up inquiry into that, my grandfather was uh, was called to give evidence because he was a salvage master and master mariner for Taiku Dockyard, and he opined that if you put lots and lots of water onto a ship in that fashion, it would flip. Um, whether that's the case, I, I can't say. He was an expert. I'm not. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So, yes, we'll be talking about your grandfather another time, too. With the artefacts that you've got here, yes, Tony Rose, I find that incredible that he'd actually been in uh, as a prisoner of war, and then he goes back and saves uh, uh, this memorabilia from the, this Japanese occupation era. So this includes behind us is, uh, is a chair. Yes, this chair is, belongs to, uh, I believe his name is Admiral Masayachi. This chair was also in the commander's office in the old Marine Headquarters building in Chimsa Choi. And after the war, it was retained. And now it's, it sits here, and it's a place where underneath the wheel and the flags that we um, have photographs taken upon officers' promotion or receiving compliments and so forth. Over the years, it's interesting, when I was reading back, there was an article by Stuart Heaver in the South China Morning Post also highlighting some of the artifacts you have here. And so I always tend to think of piracy as a 19th century problem. I was still quite surprised to see that you're still dealing with piracy into the 1940s, into the 1960s even. Yes, piracy, piracy was a problem for the region for many, many years. Uh, fortunately today, that's not so much uh, an issue. I think some people might think that smuggling, syndicated smuggling, uh, sort of might confuse that with piracy. Syndicated smuggling is more of a concern for us uh, today. And that can take many forms and it can involve many different types of vessels, uh, one of which is the, the Daifei, which you may remember from the early 90s, which was being used to smuggle stolen vehicles from here to the mainland. Uh, today, uh, the Daifei problem no longer exists, but we still see syndicated smuggling, uh, both of car contraband and illegal immigrants. What is the, yeah, I mean, I noticed, I mean, just talking about it today, that the, the, that the one of the, it's been really interesting to see just what is in demand over the years, and this, it seems to be frozen meat. Smuggling, it really depends what the demand is for, uh, and it can be absolutely anything. I've worked, uh, I've performed anti-smuggling duties for 18 years, and in that time it's been, it went from VCDs to DVDs to the latest computer, uh, so hard drives, mobile telephones, monitor lizards, tortoises, snakes. Some of the stuff would be flown in from countries, say for example snakes and pangolins would be flown in from Malaysia and arrive in Hong Kong and within hours be on a speedboat on the way across the boundary of administration to the mainland. Yeah, because back in the 1990s, of course, it was uh, Mercedes-Benz or other luxury cars going in the one direction. Um, I think in 1990, more than 600 Mercedes-Benz sort of disappeared without trace and wasn't a good car to get insured at that time. And uh, also, but in the opposite direction, more seriously, in essence, or, I mean, I, it's sad if you lose your car, but were hard drugs and, and uh, also arms. Arms and ammunition I can't speak for. I, I don't have uh, much recollection of that being the case, fortunately, in touching wood. Drug smuggling, yes, of course, that's still a concern. That Daifei era, I mean, that's something that people really remember, um, the 90s. I mean, I've talked to, quite recently, a couple of months ago, to uh, a former Marine Police Commander, Les Bird, about his work heading up the SBU, or the Small Boat Unit, as it was called then, in the early 1990s. Uh, but people will remember that over the past 30 years, these speedboats that came down from Mers or down from Shenzhen, down through Mers Bay into the Tolo Harbour. And when I was reading Stuart's article, Stuart Heaver's article, I realised you've still got one here. Yes, we have one Daifei. Uh, it's to the best of our knowledge, it's the last remaining Daifei in Hong Kong. Uh, she was seized in 2000 with a uh, luxury vehicle. Uh, on board and the people that she were arrested at her time of seizure were in the process of uh, taking the vehicle to the mainland and she was seized just off Fan Lao in the southwest corner. 
Uh, after being seized, she was turned into a police craft, and in the last 20 years, she's been used extensively, initially for operations and logistics, but primarily for uh, for training. Uh, she's large vessel, maybe 16 meters in length overall, equipped with four 250 horsepower engines. We ask our officers to perform high-speed interception duties, which are exceptionally demanding and require a great deal of training. And in order for them to be able to perform that duty safely, they need to train up against the sort of vessels that they might face. And that's what the DIFE has been used for. So what will happen to the vessel now? She's coming towards the end of her service and she's due to be replaced by a purpose-built training craft. I mean, I've been in the region for a long time now. Uh, and when I, when I look back the course of my, my service, I've heard the names of PC Chan and Station Sergeant Butt who were killed whilst tackling DIFES. And it is my hope that, um, and we've had some interest of this from the Hong Kong Maritime Museum, is that we'll be able to preserve PV-70 and commemorate the sacrifices made by officers in dealing with the threat of the DIFES. Oh, so these are two police officers who died in the 90s? Yes. Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, one, they both rammed, actually, both rammed. So you're looking to save this, how big? Oh, she's 16 metres long and maybe three and a half metres wide. Um, so what are you going to do, saw her in half? No, 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 that's the whole idea is, is to keep her together. And uh, what, actually, when she, was, when she was seized, she was reconfigured, to, so she was given navigation lights and uh, the bullet-resistant plating that was around the cockpit was removed, so she was made ready for police use. It is my hope that she will be returned to the state that she was in and the configuration when she was seized. So you're going to put the bulletproof... Put the plates back, yeah. um, take the lights off, and, you know, if it ever goes on display, which I really, really hope it does, that they would um, put a period car in the back. I mean, it's an incredible site. Uh, often you, you, there's a lot of pictures circulating on the internet of, of DIFES and, and it looks very impressive. I have to say that chasing one would probably be, would, you wouldn't be th impressed at the time. You'd be, probably be quite nervous. I think it needs to be preserved. Yeah, so you've got this uh, hope that you can save this, this DIFE, perhaps uh, if there's a, a chance for it to go in the Maritime Museum. I mean, they do have some big spaces there. I think that wherever she can be preserved, that would be great. When she was made, she wasn't made to last very long, and she only needed to do, do a few smuggling runs, and they, her costs would have been covered. So she wasn't built to last. Uh, fiberglass with wooden frames inside. From my experience, of the wooden frame, if it's exposed to termites very quickly, the boat will just completely collapse. So ideally, she needs to be put on display in an indoor environment, which will then give her the best chance for long-term preservation. You've got these 430 items. You've obviously got a passion about your marine police history, and of course your, your father was a part of that. But you've, all, you've got police jobs alongside. Oh yes, we're all, all marine police officers are members of the regional police officers' mess, and the, the mess is a registered society and it has a, has a license and has a committee and it's bound, run bound by a constitution. And uh, those that are on the committee have a, one of their responsibilities is the preservation of the memorabilia collection. And all of that is done in addition to their, their normal work. In this cabinet, we have a series of logbooks, including this logbook here, which looks, looks actually, that's basically it's blood splatters on board on the page there. Oh. And in communist-inspired pirates on the 29th of July in 1954, uh, attacked uh, the, the launch PL-28, and several crew members were injured and a corporal, uh, Jane Gin Jung, was killed. And unfortunately, uh, that, that's actually Corporal, corporal Jung, Jing's blood. Um, other books here are the visiting registers from various posts around the region. Here we have a model of a Macintosh Cathedral. Which is what? These are the, the Macintosh forts that, which are scattered across the, the border, uh, in Border District. And they were used in the, uh, in the late 40s, early 50s. Here we have... So, sorry, yeah, stop with that one. The, the Macintosh Cathedrals I've never heard of. 
Oh, really? Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a series of uh, fortifications. I think there's five of them, and they run along the width, the, the length of the border. Um, so there are stumps still there? They're still there. And actually, in actual fact, one of them is actually open for, for visiting. The forces put it together with, uh, with displays inside. And uh, I, I, I could probably, you could probably find out on the internet. I would recommend if you get a chance to go and look at that. Why is it called a Macintosh Cathedral? They were built by the Commissioner of Police, Mr. D.W. Macintosh. Oh, I see. <laughs> so cathedral in speech marks. And, um, yeah, you've, so you've got... Is this made out of brass? That's made out of, that's made out of brass. Yeah. Um, and so where, where, where can we find these on the border? I'm definitely going to have a look. They, they were all in the closed area, but now the, the border area has been opened up. So um, sort of Chateau Coq and that sort of area? There's one above Chateau Coq. Uh, there's one above Mankam Toe. Yeah, Pak Fusan, that's another one. All along the inland border. So why is that a marine police thing? No, this is, this is items of memorabilia. A member of the mess has obviously donated ah. this to the mess, and so we've retained it. Uh, we have lots and lots of things. We get donations from, uh, from overseas agencies as well. And if you look around, there's a sextant, there's an Aldous lamp, there are vessel plaques, uh, ship's models. Oh, so this is a sextant down here? Yes. Yes. I, I have to admit, I can't use that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're a digital boy. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, what well, do you want me to explain? This might be a long show. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got it on the horizon now. So, yeah, Sexton down there. What yes. sort of Aldis lamp? This was recently presented by uh, Mr. Choi Wai Hung, Fred, when he retired in April 2018, and it's a handheld signal lamp. Um, you see, items such as this, at the th many people might not think there would be value in retaining them, but by retaining it, and then young people come into the mess and they're like, oh, I've never seen that. Oh, that's what it is. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here is to keep, keep our history and preserve things for the future. Uh, I recently had some young inspectors uh, that I was talking to. Well, actually, it's going back, going back a while now. And I asked them if they knew what the, the concrete foundations were on Diajau. And they had no idea. So Daya Jiao is part of the Sokos, isn't it? That's part of the Sokos. And on a, in, the, in the late 80s, the uh, Marine Region was responsible for running the Daya Jiao Detention Centre, Vietnamese Detention Centre. And, I mean, at the time, people were in Hong Kong. That was a big thing. We all knew about it. There, every now and again, there were unfortunate disturbances, including at Daya Jiao Camp. But when I was speaking to these young inspectors, they had no idea that that, was, that had happened. In fairness to them, probably they, some of them might not have even been born. Um, but we, we, as a result of that, we now have a display detailing the region's involvement with that. Um, so it's important to preserve things, otherwise they'll just fade into the past. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in this lamp. It's these ordinary objects that you'd have used in the day-to-day yes. -day service. So a, a handheld signal lamp would have been used on a vessel? On the launches. Back, back in the day, the, the, this was, launches were equipped with these to signal other launches. Or in the, previously, we, when the, the Royal Navy were here, there would have been a lot of uh, joint operations mounted between the Navy and the Marine Police, and they too would have used signal lamps and, in addition to radios and so forth to communicate with one another. And so what did you do? Uh, this is before my time. <laughs> so, I, I was using radios, but maybe Mr. Choi, when he presented that to the mess. Uh, so that maybe. would be do. They, they would do. Um, is it Morse by lamp? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But no, today. Is, I mean, that's a fallback in an emergency situation. Uh, this sword is a French infantry sword from about 1831. In 1982, uh, in Cheung Sa, in Lantau, a young man took a young girl, a, a nine-year-old girl, as a hostage for about seven hours, and he was using this as his weapon. And the then regional commander took helicopter to scene and, and, and oversaw the subsequent arrest of the, of, of the guy. And here is this sword. How it came to be in Hong Kong, I have no idea. But this might be one of the oldest items in the collection ever, 1831. That's extraordinary. So we're standing actually, well, near the, the officer's mess bar, and uh, here on a pillar 
is is this sword from 1831. Do you know how it was identified? Uh, this is probably done by some of the mess committee back at that time. Also throughout, when I was coming up the steps to the officers' mess, you've got many, many different types of illustration, paintings, and also ship models. Yes, a lot of the, all of the models, the collection, I believe, is 36. Some of them are ship's models. When launches enter service, they are they're presented by, by the manufacturer of the launch. And some of them, they are either made by officers, uh, and they're replicas of the launches that we operate, or some of them the mess committee has used at Silver Fund uh, to purchase. We try to keep a model of every vessel that's in service. Oh, here's a bit of pirate memorabilia. Yes, this is the, the peach sword of pirate Lao Junping, who controlled the Longutan area near Tunmun in the 1940s. And then in 20th of October 1947, police mounted an attack against his headquarters, and we seized this sword in his house. But he managed to escape, but we obviously did a good job because we scared him off and he was uh, never seen in Hong Kong again. It's quite unique. I, I've never seen another one like this. It's made of wood? Yes, yes, peach wood. And here you hear on the left you have the remainder of a Japanese rifle that was found on Daya Zhao. I mean, every artifact you've got here, Tim, is, is uh, you know, it's got backstory to it. Yeah, they're, they're, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard much about the Draper collection. Uh, Roger Draper, he lived in Hong Kong in, from the late 70s into the late 90s. Uh, he worked for RTHK. RTHK. Yes, uh, but he was a very, very gifted artist, and he did a series of prints for not just for the police but um, launchers, but he did it for helicopters, fire service, ambulances, fire engines, and so forth. Um, and they were all limited edition. And the region has a small, what they call the Roger Draper collection, which is pictures of or prints of the launches that were in service at the time when uh, Roger was in Hong Kong. My name is Victor Ho. Uh, I'm the CIP Ops uh, of Marine Region. Basically, is a staffing officer, so um, this is my routine work. Apart from that, I help Mr. Ho to uh, take care of the mess, in the sense that uh, I will send some of the uh, collection for professional uh, maintenance. Or... Yeah, that, no, that's a huge job because you're, you're sort of acting as a conservationist, really. Uh, I'm not. Yes, I'm not a conservationist. So uh, this is like of interest. Uh, we have to protect this heritage. We got a very long history. So in that sense, I think I have a duty. I mean, apart from policing duty, uh, I have a duty to look after these things so that we can pass on to the future generations of the, I mean, future police officers as well as the Hong Kong citizens uh, because some of the collection will lend it to the Hong Kong Maritime Museum for display or uh, some of the school kids, uh, if the COVID situation is better, then they can come around to have a walk and to share the history of the Marine Police. So this is part, part of my job, I would say. So with the flags and with the brass and with the bells and mm -hmm. all of these things, you're able to identify which ones you think need a bit of upkeep. I know that you've been involved with Conservator Paul Harrison, who also does some work for the Maritime Museum, and recently the, the Noonday Gun was given a bit of a spruce up, but what, what else have you been involved with? Basically, you see these two friends. Uh, these two friends, uh, we just sent it back to one of the local stores to try to reframe it. In the past, it was not uh, kept in the best condition, I would say. We are not actually running a museum. So uh, what we have to do is we try to put it up into a better frame so that it can last uh, for centuries. And we employ some, um, I would say, some kind of material for the, for, for the cover or, or the glass. So uh, it's like a museum gray. So yes. uh, the light and also the moisture won't affect the content of it. So we hope to preserve it uh, permanently.
This thread is uh, actually from the country residence of the past governors. So it was handed over to us by the last governor of Hong Kong, Chris Patton. So uh, these are the union threads and also the, the governor's standard. Yes. Yeah, so you've got those two here, so they're, they're, they're from Chris Patton's era. This is the Dianzhou Detention Centre, so uh, we got some old photos actually from the mass collection. So uh, we try to put up uh, into a better, better organised way, so that we could have some life back in the old days. I'm talking with Victor Ho, Chief Inspector of uh, the Hong Kong Marine Police here at the Marine Police Headquarters in Saiwan Ho. We're looking at a variety of artefacts. Victor Ho has a day job, but he also helps out with the conservation of these different uh, artefacts, of which there are 430 here at the officers' mess. Uh, wish you greetings. He was a senior inspector for, for the Marine Region. When he retired, he donated a collection of knots, the ropes. Of the rope knots? Yes, yeah. the rope knots. What, the, ceremonial ones? Or just one, ones yeah. he'd made? Yes. Okay. So, uh, uh -huh. And we also preserve it as kind of memorabilia. So, I mean, it, 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 may, it may look brand new because he, he got it somewhere uh, maybe 100 years later. It would be like a, a new artifact, I would say. Yeah. How good are your knots? Mm. How good are your knots? Oh. Better not ask. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks to Chief Inspector Victor Ho and Tim Worrell, President of the Police Officers' Mess, talking there on the collection of historic memorabilia at Saiwan Ho. I'll keep tabs on what happens with that daifei. And on to the last part of this week's programme. Sad news this week, as we heard, that Hong Kong's Elvis, Melvis, had died. The local branch of the International Elvis Fan Club confirmed that Kwok Lam Sang passed away at the end of December. Social media has seen an outpouring of memories of and tributes to Melvis, who was about 68 years old. He would walk around most evenings in the bar areas of Lang Kwai Fong and Wan Chai and was known to many from 1992 onwards. Where's he Elvis Presley died in 1977, which is when Hong Kong Melvis first heard his music and fell in love with all things Graceland's. Melvis, or Kwok Lam Sang, was born in the Indonesian capital Jakarta and migrated to Guiyang in the province of Guizhou when he was 13 years old, and that's where he went to secondary school. In 1974, he came to Hong Kong to look for work and found a job in an electronics factory in Kuantong. But Elvis Presley was his passion as he toured the pubs and clubs and was a regular part of the city's nightlife. <laughs> wasn't the best Elvis impersonator, there are plenty better here. But it was more about his character as he strummed a few bars of blue suede shoes or Heartbreak Hotel. Helen Ma is the president of the International Elvis Presley Fan Club, Hong Kong, which has been an institution here since 1968. I got to know Malvis because he came to join our fan club in the early 80s and we found he was very devoted, I was fan. 
Yes, and what did you think about the way that he entertained in the bar districts? Malvis, he only knew Elvis after Elvis' death in 1977. He fell in love with Elvis' music, and he started to practicing his song by himself. And he often, once in a while, or often performed in our fan club's events. And he also dressed up like uh, Elvis' jumpsuit costume. And he was quite memorable for all our members. Everybody knows he got himself a famous nickname, uh, Lan Guifeng, Elvis, Lan Guifeng Mawa, you know, yeah. Radio 3 Steve James reckons he might have known more words of blue suede shoes. Everybody's got a different Melvis tale. I mean, I remember him when I used to be in Lang Kwai Fong, normally in the late 1990s in Definitely a bar. Definitely in Lang Kwai Fong. Wan Chai, that's where I saw him. He was legendary, just walked past. You know, he'd be at the bar or Hong Kong Elvis has just gone by. Who? Hong Kong Elvis. And a whole conversation. But I never actually got to see him play until one day my family uh, were visiting and they met up with their friends and, stuff, and we all went out and it was a nice busy evening back in normal times and he came in. And I thought, oh, there he is. And I tell him the tourist friend, hey, that's uh, Hong Kong uh, Elvis. Yeah, he's right. And he sees the attention. And so he comes up to the table and starts playing. What did he play? Uh, he played <laughs> Blue Suede Shoes. He played, well, I say he played Blue Suede Shoes. I knew the words. <laughs> he was so, so talked about. But because of the visual, you're out and about and there, you know, he walks past and he's in the full regalia. You're on the uh, Star Ferry. He goes, oh, there he is. <laughs> you know, it's it. All right. Yeah, uh, but he represents the nostalgia it, and representing Elvis. I wonder how many people that Melvis brought Elvis to of a younger generation. Well, there you go. Melvis was definitely, you know, Lang Kwai Fung is a very unique area to start with. And uh, when Malthus first came along, dressed up as Elvis Presley uh, with his guitar, at first people, everybody was was very amused. He'd sing and, of course, take lots and lots of photos, especially tourists loved to take photos with him. Uh, he was a character. He had his own personality and uh, very friendly to everyone. And uh, it became just became part of the furniture, you know. If he came to went to Lang Kwai Fong at nighttime, uh, suddenly Elvis Melvis would would appear, and uh, it, you know, it became just became uh, somebody that was always there, and uh, somebody who really uh, added to the kind of the insanity of Lang Kwai Fong. Mr. Lang Kwai Fong, Alan Zeman there. Local journalist John Carney works for the South China Morning Post and interviewed Melvis last year. Elvis is my hero, Melvis Kwok told him. He really touched me. My favourite song of his is It's Now or Never. It's beautiful. Last year, John Carney accompanied Melvis on his nightly Hong Kong tour.
We met him and, and did a circuit with him. The circuit he does seven days a week, or he was doing seven days a week then. We met him at TST Ferry, and we got the ferry across with him. We did the whole circuit, uh, myself and a, a guy doing the video from the office. And we did a video on a feature on him, and he, he just came across as this. He actually came across as a guy very different from his persona as Melvis when he was in the, the bars. He was very mild-mannered and just a nice a nice person. Of course, one of the things that most people would say about him is that when he does get into the bar, not only does he put on a good show, but he, he isn't the best guitarist. He probably knows about two chords. And, um, <laughs> two chords? And doesn't, around about, and maybe, you know, seems that way. But and he doesn't seem to know a great deal of the words, but I mean, that, that was part of his charm, because you didn't expect to have this great Elvis impersonator. It, it was more the fact that it was him, and that everyone at one stage or another wanted to be seen having a sing-along with him, even whether you liked Elvis or not. Yeah, I think it was, the, as you say, it was the, it was this character in Hong Kong, a bit eccentric, uh, showing up in these bar districts. Well, that's it. I mean, that, I think that's the sad thing about this because you'd sort of take him a bit for granted because there was times you'd see him walking through the bar district and, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, because he was, he'd been seen so regularly, people didn't want him to play or didn't ask him to play. And the thing is, it's like one of these, you think to yourself, it's only when someone is gone that they're really missed. I think the sad thing is that you won't see him walking around these areas again. And that's sort of a, he, he's such an iconic person that, it just won't be the same, but he's not there anymore. Melvis has left the building. <laughs>